0: Just happy to see you guys, and I'm happy to announce a powerful speaker, a brother and friend of mine, uh, Andrew Oliver. Can we give him a warm welcome to the stage? Thank you, Donald. Hello, everyone. Good morning. morning. Nice to see you all. I'm gonna set the stage for this message with a story. Um, In the late summer of 2021, there was a a doctor from a prominent uh, church in New York City um, who called uh, Do For One, and if you don't know, Do For One is the organization I lead, which helps build relationships for isolated people. And um, this doctor oriented us to a a man named William and his situation, and and, um, after hearing about it, we decided to serve him as a person in need of companionship and advocacy, in 2019, going back a little bit, before we met William, he, uh, he, he left his home to go live with his aging mother, who was disabled. And while living there, he got into an accident at work and became disabled himself. So his mother and himself became disabled, living together. And they were isolated, and they were dependent on one another. And for reasons unknown to us, they um, did not have other family to rely upon. And then, of course... Soon after William got into this accident, the pandemic hit, which made things even worse because he wasn't able to go to physical therapy and things like that. We initially paired William with one advocate, I'll call him Peter, to offer emotional and spiritual support as well as transportation to and from church. But William's situation took a turn for the worse when his mother first had to leave to go to a nursing home, and then she eventually died. And this left William at home alone without the daily support that he needs because, come to find out, he had been relying upon his mom's home care worker for his daily needs. So, William was losing everything. And he was comparing his situation to the story of Job. And I don't blame him. We recognized his increasing need, and so I connected him with a second advocate. This is the work of Do For One. We connect people to good neighbors and I'll call her Margaret. When I introduced William to Margaret, establishing this match, we talked with him in his his apartment, and there were piles and piles of things all over the place. You could tell there was just such a deep struggle um, with him trying to fend for himself in this place. So many things he wasn't able to manage from having lived alone in this apartment for several months without any kind of home care support. So Margaret spoke to William eye to eye, heart to heart. And we talked about how to address his problems, you know, all kinds of practical needs. They noted how she could help him get uh, set up with a phone service and, and how to apply for accessoride and how to, how to get groceries, how to set him up in a situation where he's able to get daily food and water and things like that to survive in the interim until he was able to get the care that he needed. And we talked about how Peter, the other advocate, could continue pr- to provide prayer and emotional and social support as well as filling in some of the gaps with some of these practical needs. All that to say, when William expressed his appreciation, he expressed it not by so much the things that they promised that they would do, but he said this. He said, you know, the thing I appreciate about you guys is that you stick to the heart of the matter. And I haven't experienced this kind of love in my entire life. So what do you think is the difference between what they were providing for him and perhaps what he had experienced prior i think it's personal care combined with the practical help coming out of establishing trust and a budding mutual friendship not merely a transactional relationship there's a philosopher that talks about friendship named epicurus and he says it's not so much our friends help that help us helps us at it as it is it's the confidence of their help. It's an attitude of, yes, let's, let's take care of things. Let's get things done. But while we're doing that, let's also laugh, and let's pray, and let's cry, and let's really listen to each other, and let's really come to understand one another's stories. Yes, William had a lot of things, a lot of needs to be addressed, but he reminds us that what he ultimately needs is people who can really see him. People who can see themselves in him. He needs people to imagine what if I was in this situation? And if I were in this situation, what would I hope to receive from others? And hear me out. You see, there is no greater thing that we can offer in this world than to truly see one another and to truly know one another. And there's no greater gift to receive in this world than to truly be seen by someone else and to truly be known by someone else. So with that, let me read a few scriptures. John 15, verses 12 through 17 says this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. 13 says you my brothers and sisters were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh rather serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself the entire law if you bite and devour each other watch out or you will be destroyed by each other i'm going to skip down to verse 22 in galatians 5 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. us pray Lord I, I come to you in Jesus name out of an awareness that what I have on my heart to share today is penetrating and challenging but I also pray Lord that it would be encouraging to us because ultimately what we want is to live how you lived and so Holy Spirit would you come and would you help us all? to be available to what it is that you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been in a series on spiritual disciplines, and if we practice them, it's, they're supposed to yield fruit in our lives. So we don't just, and Pastor Chris has said this, you know, we don't just fast, sit in silence, pray, study scripture so that we can come out and just like, show everyone our spiritual glow. See, in our spiritual disciplines, we're supposed to be examining ourselves for spiritual fruit. And in Galatians 5, we just read nine qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. When examining ourselves, we can ask, how much love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control do I possess? And am I growing in these ways? Not just in one of these ways, but all of these ways. That's how we can examine whether we're bearing spiritual fruit, whether we're growing in the Lord. So today and next week, we'll be focusing on something that is like adjacent to, or you could say complementary to, the Sankofa series, which is the series that Pastor Chris has been leading us through. And I want to look at, you might call it a spiritual discipline. But it never stands on its own. It happens within all of the other practices that we've been looking at and it's influenced by and it's even woven into all of these spiritual disciplines of, you know, prayer, fasting, solitude, study of scripture, things like that. What I want to look at is, if you haven't guessed, the spiritual discipline of friendship. We can examine how far we've come in our spiritual growth by asking ourselves, how good am I doing at my friendships? Is there love, joy, peace, forbearance, and so on in the way that I relate to others? Friendship is something that is much more important than we give it credit for, and it's much harder to achieve than we think. Most of us are pretty bad at being friends. And by the way, I'm preaching to myself here. In scripture, as we just read, and even ancient philosophers knew that achieving good friendship is a significant virtue. They knew that friendships are good for society and that a world without friendship would lead to societal collapse. A lot of classic novels speak of the importance of friendship. There's a scene in The Lord of the Rings about a a friendship between Sam and Frodo. Maybe you're familiar with this relationship. Sam and Frodo were sent on a mission to destroy the ring. And the ring represents sort of all the evil in the world. So it's quite the mission. Sam says, I wonder if we'll ever be put into songs or tales. I wonder if people will ever say, let's hear about Frodo and the ring. And they'll say, yes, it's one of my favorite stories. Frodo was really courageous, wasn't he, Dad? Yes, my boy. The most famous of hobbits, and that's saying a lot. But then Frodo chimes in and he says, you left out one of the chief characters. Samwise the Brave. I want to hear more about Sam. And then he turns and he looks to Sam, and this always gets me. He says, Frodo says to Sam, Frodo wouldn't have gotten very far without Sam. But today, friendships are not recognized among the great love stories. For every 25 romance movies, you might be able to come up with one friendship movie. In fact, Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings, had written it with friendship as the central theme, but the movie centers around the romantic love story of, of Aragorn and Arwen. So it goes to show how our culture has shifted. Same goes for pop songs. A song about a friendship just doesn't have broad appeal, right? Uh, not quite as much as falling in love, heartbreak, love affairs, right? You tell me, what would, have, what would be set up for more success, a song title called, that's, that's titled uh, Will you be my friend or will you be my lover? Which one do you think could reach the top of the charts, right? We've lost the recognition of the virtue and importance of friendship. We hold seminars on dating, marriage, good parenting, leadership, all important topics, but rarely, if ever, do we stop and consider this important topic of friendship. Yet in this passage that we just read, just as he was preparing his disciples for his death on the cross, he slows down and he stops and he looks at them and he says, you are my friends. And today we're living in a public health crisis due to social isolation. In May of 2023, the U.S. Surgeon General released a very lengthy advisory announcing loneliness as a new public health epidemic in the United States. He says, we must prioritize building social connections the same way we have prioritized other critical public health issues such as tobacco, obesity, and substance use disorders. Can you imagine social isolation being equated with the damaging of health effects of tobacco and so on? In the UK and in Japan, their governments have hired public officials with the title Ministers for Loneliness to address the issue of social isolation. Suicide rates among youth have been on the rise. Mental health issues have been on the rise. Many of this is stemming from social isolation. Bringing up a few philosophers because to draw upon wisdom, because we don't find as much wisdom about friendship today, but if we go back, Aristotle says this. He says, in poverty and other misfortunes of life, true friends are a sure refuge. To the young, they keep out of mischief. To the old, they are a comfort and aid in their weakness. And those in the prime of life, they incite to noble deeds. My hope today is that in the poverty, such a lack of good relationships in our lives today, that we can see a resurgence or an appreciation for the importance of friendship. That's why today and next week, that's what we'll be focusing on, the spiritual discipline of friendship. The prevalence of social breakdown and loneliness, I think, highlights our spiritual vulnerability, and its influence by our cultural surroundings for sure. But what I want to do is I want to go deeper. I want to try to tackle the root of this problem, recognizing its predominantly spiritual nature over the sociological and psychological uh, reasons. So to try to strike at the root of this epidemic, I want to highlight three reasons um, that friendships are so challenging for us today. Next week, we'll look more practically about how to be a good friend. But today, let's just ask ourselves, why are we so bad at being friends? Well, I'll give you three reasons. One is we're too afraid for friendship. The other is we're too busy for friendship. And finally, we're too into ourselves for friendship. Are you ready for this? (laughs) I know it's... um, I think what you'll realize as I go through, through this is that on one hand, friendships just seem so like, oh yeah, friends, okay. But as we, as you really, go, as we really start to walk through this, we realize how spiritually penetrating this can be when we talk, when we talk about what a true friend really means. So, so bear with me. Some philosophers describe friendship, so this is, we're too afraid for friendships. Some philosophers describe uh, friendship as having a second self. So this would mean that friendships compel us to see ourselves second hand. So in other words, friendships would allow us to see ourselves and even experience ourselves through the eyes of others. So on one hand, this could be viewed as a precious gift because having a second self would mean that we would feel seen and heard and so on, like I was talking about with William, that we exist, that we're important, that we're loved. But one of the reasons you might say we're afraid of friendships is because sometimes we're afraid of ourselves. And what we will have to see about ourselves through friendship. Fear can come in all sorts of ways. We're afraid of hurting others, and we're afraid of being hurt. We're afraid that intimacy with one another might bring to light hidden sin. Perhaps our friend will start to perceive something going going on in our lives and call us out on it. Sometimes we're too afraid for relationships. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus' his Son purifies us from all sin. So if you have sin in your life that you're protecting and you have no intentions of addressing it, don't be surprised if your social life suffers. The reality is, is that we're walking in darkness. We don't want other people to see us in that condition. We feel ashamed. We feel too ashamed and embarrassed. And so we tend to hide and we tend to isolate. But the encouraging thing is that, first of all, we've all been there. And this verse reminds us that this debt that you owe for your sin, Jesus paid it with his blood. And as a result, he purifies you. So if we confess our sin and we receive the gift of being wiped clean then our relationship with God can be restored, as can our social relationships. So are you starting to see how when we examine friendship, it's a sure way of examining our own souls, right? It's very challenging, be very penetrating. We're afraid of what friendships will demand of us and whether we'll be able to live up to what other people need. There's so many rewards of friendships, but it demands us to be loyal. Friends challenge us because we have, it's, we're we called to bear one another's burdens, to be there for people when they're struggling, when they're going through challenges, to carry some of that weight with them. We might be afraid of friendship because of something hurtful that we did, and we don't know if our friend is willing to forgive us. Vice versa, um, they've, maybe they've done something to us, and we don't have it in us to forgive them. You know, forgiveness can oftentimes be a major hindrance to friendship. In the midst of how challenging all of this is Um, what makes friendship uniquely special but also fragile is that we can give up on friends and they can give up on us there is no you know vows that we make for friendships for richer or poorer friendships are special in that way because when you're with a friend you feel chosen You feel uniquely loved, because out of all the humans in the world, that person chose to be with you. So it can be uniquely special in that way, but equally so, it can be fragile, because at any point, you could have a friend that would not choose you, you know, or they would ghost you, as we say, or not invite you to something, you know? It can be hurtful. Putting ourselves out there can be quite scary. Maybe you've had friends who've abandoned you during the challenging times, or you felt taken advantage of. We've all had various degrees of wounds like this in our lives, and I know that some of you have had more than others, and it can be really hard to get back up and try again, and that's one of the things that we want to cultivate in this church is a, is a, is a, is a place where we can grow and we can heal and we can learn how to trust um, uh, these relationships, these friendships. This topic is so important to me that I actually literally devote my entire life to helping build relationships for people who feel isolated and rejected. I see right up close the way that social class, disability, and race, and mental disorders, and eating disorders, and all sorts of other things can lead to people feeling so isolated, so rejected. I've met many people who can honestly say they've never had a friend Some are so isolated and alone that they don't even have a concrete understanding of what having a friend would even feel like or be like. And I've never had anyone explicitly say these words to me, but when talking about the prospect of somebody who's felt isolated and rejected gaining a friend, I really feel like their heart is saying to me, am I really lovable like that? could I really be lovable like that? And in Jesus' name, if that's you, you are lovable like that. Jesus sees you as a precious son or daughter, and we live in a broken world, and we live in a distorted world, where unfortunately some of us get mistreated and and looked down upon. And I'm sorry that you've had to experience that, but I pray that today that Jesus' friendship would come to comfort you. So the second reason that friendships are challenging is because we're too busy. Many of us are too busy. amid our busy lives, we overlook the importance of friendship. We're busy, or you might say pragmatic, don't have time, don't make the time. We're so busy that all we have time for are the practical things in life that demand our attention, and the problem is that friendship is not noticeably necessary, right? So think about this. We can marry and have children without friendship. We can accomplish lots of things with work and education without friendship. If we take a moment and look at our schedules, I'm guessing that a lot of us wouldn't have time carved out to just aimlessly hang out with a friend, right? And I'm guilty of this. Don't come looking at my calendar. (laughs) It's because we get so pragmatic, you know, and all the things that demand our attention are the things that we respond to. Frankly, you know, William's practical needs could have been met without friendship. You know, the story that I mentioned earlier. But what he said is, I like how you stick to the heart of the matter, and that's what we're talking about here. It's the impractical, it's the intangible elements that was most important to William. I don't know about you, but I can't tell you how often I say to people, hey, this was great, we should do it again sometime. Why don't we do this more often, right? (laughs) And then what happens? We don't. (laughs) Or we see each other seven weeks later, and we're like, oh my gosh, you're right. Why is that? Why do you think that happens? I mean, I'm sure there's a whole host of reasons. But my point here is that friendships are just not noticeably necessary. Feeding your kids is noticeably necessary, Doing our taxes, right, is noticeably necessary. Getting work done for our boss is noticeably necessary. And yet Jesus opens himself up. There's just a handful of people. He says to you, to me, you are my friends. We might mistake the feeling of loneliness as weakness and say, oh, I just, I just got to be content with God and God alone. But if you feel lonely and you say, I need more friends, that's not a sin, Um, it It doesn't mean you're weak in your faith. It just means that you're human. It means that you're made in the image of God. If you think about it, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in an eternal friendship with one another. So you and I are also made for friendship, and so I hope that we can slow down and begin to notice this urgent, dire need that our souls have for friends. Others of us have friendship overload where socializing may not be the struggle for you, but committing to that small handful of friends and being there for them in the thick and the thin might be the struggle for you. Um, You know, when you have so many friend options, the moment you get bad vibes from somebody, you just hang out with the next person and the next person and the next person. So whether we're too busy or trying to maintain various fair-weather friends, consider that Jesus again took the time, and he sat down with 12 people, ragtag disciples, and he said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I had called you friends. Don't get me wrong. We all love the idea of a friend who is there for someone in the middle of the night, the one who has forbearance enough to love somebody through the consequences of their poor decisions. We love the idea of that kind of a friend, but speaking to myself and perhaps some of you, I'm afraid that many of us don't want to actually be that friend. So again, examining ourselves for spiritual fruit. Where are we? Where are we with this? So the last reason that friendships are challenging that I'm offering today is that we're too into ourselves for friendship. The truth is that a lot of us were just too into ourselves. In Galatians 5, I'll read from verse 22, but I want to emphasize verse 26. We start at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, and this is what I want to emphasize, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other, okay? So the word conceited there is typically um, used in kind of a contemporary context, oh, don't be so conceited, or don't be so selfish or self-absorbed, right? That's kind of how how we associate that word. But I want to go deeper into that meaning of that word beyond just kind of calling each other names. Conceited here is used, you know, when digging for the Greek meaning, it's actually used to mean to be empty of glory or to be hungry for glory. So you could read that in a different way. You could say, let us not become hungry for glory, provoking and envying each other. Means to have a deep soul need for approval. Approval means you're not sure of your own value and worth. And when you're not sure of your own value and your worth, you're sent on an endless quest of trying to find that worth. The emptiness could lead us to provoke, meaning to sort of look down on others, sort of act proud, right? Feel superior to them in some kind of way. And this is in our quest to fill that void of feeling valuable and worthwhile. Or... We respond to this soul hunger uh, with envy, which would mean we feel inferior and jealous of others, you know? So it's like we're either kind of like this or like this, and we're giving each other dirty looks and jealousy, and oh, how come that person is always getting their way, and oh, this and that, right? So it's one or the other. That's usually how we respond to this soul hunger for value, for worth. So We're too into ourselves for friendship. Because in all of our relationships, we will constantly be begging the question, aren't I amazing? Don't you love me? Aren't I great? Did you see what I did? Right? If you're glory-hungry inside, you can't stand to see yourself through the eyes of another person, and it's very hard to take criticism. And we're constantly trying to fill this need that only God can provide, by the way, and we don't have time or space to be there for our friends, right? Constantly looking for affirmation for ourselves. So the idea of somebody calling us in the middle of the night sounds exhausting because we're trying so hard to fill this soul need for ourselves. So we're on this endless pursuit wherever we go to have our soul's needs met. And sadly, a lot of times what this ends up doing is it further isolates us. There's this quotation by David White and I want to read it kind of slowly and just highlight one piece of it for us. He says, he's a poet, David White says, the dynamics of friendship is almost always underestimated as a constant force in human life. A diminishing circle of friends is the first terrible diagnostic of a life in deep trouble, of overwork, of too much emphasis on a professional identity, of forgetting who will be there when our armored personalities run into the inevitable disasters and vulnerabilities found in even the most average of existence. I know that's a mouthful. What I want to highlight here is what David White is calling armored personalities. In other words, in this desire of our conceit or our hunger for glory, we create a false self as we go out into the world, sort of a false image. It's not so much who we really are, it's who we want people to think we are. And in doing that, when all is said and done and all is stripped away, we lose sight of who we actually are, and we lose sight of who our real friends actually are. So too many of us kind of twist ourselves up, and we get confused about who we actually are. And we see societal breakdown, I think, because we're empty, and we're looking for other people to fill that emptiness. The problem is that oftentimes the people that we're looking to fill are also empty, so it's a barren land, the barren landscape in the world of friendship. But as I close, and the musicians can come forward, um, I wanna address of course, where do we find ultimate hope as we deeply probe into this, this question of why friendships are so challenging and maybe one of these things is standing out to you more than the other and just ask for you to make yourself available to the, to the Lord here. Where do we find hope? If people praise us, we feel on top of the world, but if people don't, we fall flat on our faces when we're seeking glory for ourselves. But what I want to encourage you and me to do is instead of riding a roller coaster ride of affirmation, um, I want us to simply surrender. Can we surrender today and simply say, I am empty and I need to be filled? Does that resonate with anybody? I am empty and I need to be filled. I'm looking around and I'm trying to get filled by all these people and all these things that are disappointing me. But I recognize, Lord, now that, man, I need you. The reason why I feel so exhausted when I'm around people is because I'm empty. I have nothing left to give. If we knew of God's love for us, we wouldn't be afraid of friendships because we would have the confidence to show all of our faults before others. And our souls would be so full, so the thought of setting aside time to be with someone wouldn't sound draining, because what we have to offer would be coming out of the overflow of God's goodness in our lives. William's friends, the people that I mentioned earlier, the people uh, that, that, that were there for him, that both had the tangible and intangible qualities, Those friends had this quality of the goodness of God flowing out of them onto William. That's why William was able to say, I've never experienced this kind of love before. William's circumstances would make the demand of friendship scary and draining to a lot of us. But he was blessed to have people rooted in Christ, bearing fruit that will last. Too many of us would struggle in a friendship like this. Because when we're spiritually empty... All we can do is try to preserve what little we have left. And the the idea of giving that away to somebody sounds like the end of ourselves. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you can go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And I think it starts, before talking about what it means to be a good friend and how to do it and all these practical things, I think it starts, for a lot of us, was just simply saying, I am empty and I need to be filled. Never mind all the things that I need to do for others. Just fill me, God. It's only Jesus who redeems friendship because Jesus created friendship. And not only that, but he calls us friends. Jesus wasn't too afraid to enter into our lives, Jesus wasn't too busy to spend time with us and to understand us and to hear our prayers. He wasn't too into himself. He laid down his life for you and I, setting the ultimate example of what a friendship truly looks like. So he holds the key and acted as a friend that we could have never been for one another. So you could say that he opened up the gate of friendship for dying both a physical and a spiritual death so that we can die a spiritual death, meaning I am empty, putting away the desires of the flesh, putting away our armored personalities, our false image of ourselves, learning to walk by the Spirit of Christ, be those good friends that God has appointed us to be. But let's start by just saying, Lord, I'm drained. Lord, I'm empty. Come and fill me. As the musicians begin to play this response song, could we stand if you're able? And I just want to remind you that their prayer team is in the back. If you would like to receive prayer, both from the prayer words that Denise prayed earlier, but also if anything in this message stirred upon you and you would like to just receive the comfort of somebody praying over you with whatever it is that you're going through. Let me pray for us and we'll begin to sing in response. Dear Lord, um, I recognize that this kind of message could be Hit us in a little bit of a different way and perhaps challenge us in ways that we're not used to. And so I pray that you would be with us, that your grace would be with us. I pray that your kindness would ultimately lead us to repentance. I pray that we would all recognize that when we allow you to dig a little deeper into our hearts, that that's actually a good thing, even though it stings a little bit, because what you're doing is you're setting us free. Would you set us free? For those of us who were lonely, would we experience your friendship? For those of us who are empty, would you fill us so that we would feel equipped to be that friend for others? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.